Before we get started on this episode, if you've just got here, you really do need to go back to episode one. Because this podcast follows a life-changing decision-making process that stretches over years. And all through that process, our subjects, Mossin and Dahlia, have been recording themselves. Sometimes the audio is a little DIY. For example, in this episode, Dahlia's microphone might have been facing the wrong way. But this audio lets us listen in as these two friends go on a journey together. And the best place to start a journey is the beginning. This is Tiny Huge Decisions, Episode 3. Where does the love start and end? Should I record, yeah? Yeah, I'm ready to record. Okay, I'm recording. How are you? I'm okay. What are we talking about today? It's been two months since Mossen and Dahlia spoke about this potential surrogacy. The time has slipped away. Work, family, life, you know how it is. But they connect on a call so Dahlia can share some research she's been doing speaking with surrogates to try and get inside the head of someone who chooses to carry someone else's child. Both Dahlia and Mossin know that there's an added complexity to any discussion of Dahlia becoming pregnant again. She had a difficult experience having her daughter and they begin today's conversation by reflecting on that time. Then I went for the 12-week scan. Okay. She said she could see the fetus and that there was a heartbeat. Yeah, and so we went and um, obviously it's quite exciting as well. And we were feeling quite nervous and um, excited. And the sonographer confirmed that I was pregnant. I'm so, getting excited now, even though this happened in the past. <laughs> really happy. And then she started being a bit weird and like cautious and seemed like she was taking ages and couldn't like tell us anymore. So then I started to get worried. Then she basically said that she needed to call someone else in. Okay. Because she couldn't identify what this large mass was. The lady said, like, she was she was basically really excited because she'd never seen one of these before. Um, but actually that mass, it was something called a dermoid cyst. A dermoid cyst is basically like something that you're born with. And it's a cyst something that you're born with. You're born with it, but they, they can be tiny. And um, so they like often go really undetected. And I think they form when, like, skin layers don't grow um, as they're supposed to. But in, So I had one inside my ovary that was probably tiny, but then during pregnancy, because of all the hormones, it grew to be 18 centimetres. And now it was so big that, A, they couldn't see the baby, and, B, there was no option but to have it taken out because it was just going to keep growing. Okay. What was supposed to be this like really nice, happy occasion then got totally like clouded by the mm. fact that I had this really large cyst. And then at 16 weeks, I had to have surgery to have that. it removed. And so that was quite stressful. So I had the surgery. And then for a few weeks afterwards, like I couldn't walk, I couldn't move. It's getting to like the three month mark where you're supposed to start feeling like better and glowing and like really happy and everything's supposed to be nice. Yeah. And then I just basically couldn't walk for like four weeks and was in quite a lot of pain. And then, unfortunately, when the biopsy came back, they'd found, like, a really small tumour inside. Mm. And it was impossible to have any, like, te- like proper tests done because I was pregnant. Yeah, so I remember. So I had to then wait and basically find out, like, until the baby was born, I couldn't have any tests to confirm, like, if I was actually ill or if there was anything wrong with me. So the whole thing, in the end, just ended up being, like, massively stressful. By the time I came to nine months, I was exhausted after just having this operation and then just generally 
not feeling very well and not having a particularly um, easy pregnancy. And I just had to decide, like, is it worth just having my ovary taken out, taken out, living without an ovary? Or do I then potentially have to go through another operation? To have it removed. To have it removed. So in the end, we basically just decided to have my ovary out at the same time. So I had a cesarean section. My baby was delivered. And, um, Bloody hell. So after all of that, I was just tired. I was fed up. It was really stressful. The good news is that after all of the biopsies, it was found that there was no other like cancer. There was no other tumours. But actually, sometimes really serious things do happen. And I think the only thing is that if I'm like really honest, I'm just like scared. Yeah. Like, that's it. It's not like, like, I just am scared. And that's the problem is that because now I have a child, it's not just about me. And I think that's also like what my husband's feeling is. But this just like made us feel a bit like, you know what, actually sometimes like really serious things could happen. Why would you do that? Hmm. This kind of fear of what could go wrong It's something that we know has been lurking in the back of Dahlia's mind since they first started these conversations. Now this feels like her chance to explain and explore that fear. To demonstrate the realities of what she'd have to go through, Dahlia has prepared a game for Mossin. She's got a list of symptoms or side effects of pregnancy, some common, some more unusual And in this thought experiment, she asks Mossin, if the tables were turned, would you do this for me? Okay, so I'm going to say yes or no as soon as you say something. And I'm not allowed to pause. And then afterwards, I'll try and explain. Okay. All right. Some of these might be, um, some of them are temporary, but actually a lot of them are like long lasting. Oh, God. So you've got to like accept that. Just imagine for the sake of argument, you're going to live with this forever. Okay, go go for it. Brushes. No. (laughs) (laughs) was that a mild one oh my god rashes forever you wouldn't you wouldn't experience rashes forever for me to have a child oh oh, okay all right yeah yeah okay yeah 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 yeah. would you yeah 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 it depends on how severe they were (laughs) i mean and where they were oh my god okay all right yes permanently sweating no oh my god i'm saying no each time this is terrible permanently sweating no sex drive for two years yeah i could cope with that one permanently bigger shoe size oh (laughs) wait your shoe size goes up okay i'll buy you new shoes i can deal with that one okay well this is about you so you say yes yes i just demand that you buy me new shoes losing teeth no yes 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 (laughs) Okay, it's just, I'm kind of like shocked at these things because I don't think it happened. Yes, I would lose teeth because I get new ones. Oh, wow. Fake ones. Fake. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, that's nice that you can afford fake ones. <laughs> <laughs> Numb hands. Forever? Yes. No, well, yeah. I mean, what? <laughs> Numb hands. What? Does that mean, well, couldn't you write? You wouldn't be able to write anymore. <laughs> it's not being very quick fire. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, no. Numb hands, no. Okay. <laughs> Imagine you had boobs, boobs becoming six times larger. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, I mean, this is such a male response. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not even straight. And I was like, yes. A clicking hip. Yeah, I could do with that. Because then like when I was dancing, I could add a little rhythm into it. <laughs> great. 
um, incontinence. No. Wait, what is it? Does that mean where you can't stop yourself shitting? Growing. <gasps> Forever. Geographic tongue. What does that mean? Separated abdominals. No. A Are blue you... vagina. Yeah, that'd be quite cool. <laughs> A dermoid cyst. Uh. Oh, can you stop sending showing me pictures of those? Literally, and you genuinely you picked sushi before we before and you knew we were gonna be looking at this stuff. Answer the question. No, I don't <laughs> want one of those. Final question. An allergy to halloumi. Oh I love halloumi. But okay, I would give up halloumi forever if it meant you could have a really? child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I basically said no to everything else. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like Halloumi is the one thing I should probably... I need to say yes to something. <laughs> okay. right. Do you know that means a lot? I mean, I know it was a quick fire round, but I was actually joking. I would have done all of those things for you. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> no. Like, if you said to me, oh, you know, in order for Dali to have a child, you're going to have to be incontinent for the rest of your life, I would just tell you that I loved you and I'm sorry. But that's the reality for so many people. And these aren't like serious, strange things. Like these are things that happen all the time. But what I was going to say was, what was really interesting about all of this was then it made me question my motivations because I felt like... For having this conversation? No, for ha- like for thinking, why on earth did I want, considering being a surrogate? Yeah. When it seems like lots of people who do it do it because they love to be pregnant and they enjoy that feeling of being pregnant and that's very tied to it and I was feeling a bit alienated from some of the people that I was talking to and some of the things that I was reading okay because that like seemed to be at the center of it like literally like women I was speaking to was like one of them said um I'm one of those that like absolutely loves to be pregnant and absolutely loved to like give birth and I just wanted to keep doing it over and over again well just give me her number she was asking me if I wanted to see like all her birthing pictures and videos and things because it was such an incredible experience you mean actual videos from when she was getting married <laughs> yeah. what so did you say i d- i just said yeah that you know that's nice not what, videos, did she whatsapp them to you <laughs> but it just i just felt a bit like really like oh my god like i this isn't me like why am i doing this if mm. i'm not i don't want to share any of my birthing videos not that i have <laughs> and then i met michelle Dahlia spoke to Michelle as part of her research into surrogacy. Michelle was the surrogate for Ashley, the sister of Michelle's husband, Dom. Like Dahlia, Michelle already had her own child, Maddie, when she made the decision to be a surrogate for Ashley. So I was in labor forever and then ended up having a, having to have an emergency C-section. And, um, you know, it was like a million hours later in my mind. And finally, you know, we had Maddie. She was healthy. She was safe. And we did like a, a Skype or a Zoom. And I was bleary-eyed. And um, they were congratulating us, you know, with like a champagne toast. And I, I'm never going to forget it. I, was, I could see Ashley and just the pain. I even remember what she was wearing. I could just see how painful this was for her, even though, she, of course, she was happy for us. And you know, excited for our new adventure. But I could, it's like one of those memories, you know, that stuck in my mind. And I remember being like in that, even in that moment, just like, I wish I could like make her feel better, you know? And even Dom noticed, you know, like he's like, oh, this is just, it's so hard. 
And so her motivations for wanting to be a surrogate were very different from a lot of the other people that I'd spoken to and, and read about. And the reason she wanted to be a surrogate for Ashley was because Ashley has cystic fibrosis. Okay. So she couldn't have her own children who had been trying for many years um, to have a child with her partner. And I really enjoyed talking to Michelle because she was really like honest and open about her experience. But also I felt like finally I was meeting somebody whose motivation for wanting to be a surrogate was aligned with yours. Yeah. So I'm going to play you some clips from my conversation with Michelle. This first one is her talking about the very first time she maybe thought about being a surrogate. Similarly to me, was just after she had her own child. I just had a baby. You know, I was like totally out of my mind because after that labor, it was just so awful. But um, yeah, so I guess really that was kind of the first inkling in my mind about, you know, of course it was not in any way like, oh, I'm going to be a surrogate. But that was like kind of the first like flash of like, oh, we could do this. Eventually, fast forward to like another holiday, we were there and I remember... It was in Provence. We were in France and we were, it was just, it was very rare that Ashley and I had time to kind of sneak away ourselves, but it was a time, um, where we did and, um, like we'd had a few glasses of wine and I remember being like, I'll have your baby. Like I can't take it anymore. You know, <laughs> she's like, no, no, you know, and, but I just remember being like, I can't, it, almost in a selfish way, like, I cannot take seeing you in this pain <laughs> yeah. anymore. Like, what can I do to make this stop? Um, and so, yeah, and I mean, of course, it was, that would have been, Maddie would have been, like, not even, maybe about one at that point. So, so that would have been still, like, a year out from even starting the process. So it was a long time, you know, from the, when these little thoughts started to when, actually, we started the process and, and everything like that. Wow. That's, it's kind of weird how similar it it was to how our conversation came about in terms of both like timing and kind of motivation, right? Yeah. Like she's not saying, as you said, she's not saying like, oh my God, I can't wait to be pregnant again. It's the opposite. She's saying that was awful. Yeah. And that's why I really liked talking to her because I felt like, oh, right. Like it's okay. It's normal. Yeah. Like you don't have to, like you don't only have to want to be pregnant to be, to have a good, like, you know, to have that motivation. I think it really helped me. It was really refreshing to hear like somebody else say that. And she then like went on to talk about how she just generally like wasn't looking forward to being pregnant. So what did like, what did talking to her like do to the way you were thinking about it all? I think like weirdly, it just made me feel it just made the way I feel like feel fine. And it just almost validated that like slight ambivalent feeling that I have to the point where it made me just think it doesn't matter. Whereas this is the thing that I've been like fixating on all along. What does it matter? Like, it doesn't matter that I don't like massively really want to do this. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you don't want to yeah, do Yeah, I know it sounds so like that's so, so contradictory, but like I often feel like you're made to feel in life that you have to be like really, that things have to be quite straightforward. Whereas talking to her made me realise that yes, like you have to be decisive and you have to want to do something. But the reasons that make you want to do it in this case 
aren't that like linear that it's like I have to want to I don't have to want to be pregnant okay I get she that. didn't either like what she wanted was for her sister-in-law to have a child to have a child just after she'd experienced having one and seeing like the pain that they were going through not having that and she wanted to help them and like that's the way she described herself like I'm just a fixer like I wanted to just fix the problem so did she enjoy her second pregnancy well this is what she said about the idea of being pregnant so well I will say I wasn't necessarily looking forward to being pregnant (laughs) (laughs) like I would not have done this for anybody else you know or or anybody other than like someone I truly cared about so I mean I say it was easy but again I had morning sickness for sure I'm not gonna lie I like to go out and have a drink so that's kind of stunk and you know, and so um, there were definitely parts of that I was not looking forward to. So, um, but I was like, it's nine months. It's a school year. I can do this, you know. And so I was like, for a lifetime of somebody's joy and love, I can I can do this. But then it's like, what if, you know, there's always going to be that what if. And so I had to do the pros and cons and be like, but let's, let's say I don't do this. What would that be like too, you know? And so to me... The pros totally outweighed the cons. Did talking to her, did any part of the conversation make you feel guilty? Like, did any part of you think, oh, I wish I felt more like her or, oh, I don't feel like that. Or I know that she's speaking logic, but that doesn't detract from the way I, from how fearful I am. Like you said, you were scared earlier, right? Well, I suppose like a little bit, maybe like in the sense that again, like she'd actually had quite a, what she described as being quite an easy, quite a pleasant, I mean, not pleasant, like I don't think pregnancy is ever pleasant, but like what she described as being like a straightforward pregnancy. So I suppose she didn't have this like fear of it in the same way that I do, but I definitely didn't feel guilty. I did ask her if there were any points in which she like not necessarily regretted it, but she would start to feel a bit like resentful or like knowing that she also didn't massively like look forward to this idea of being pregnant. This is what she said. Did you, even in those times, did you did you feel a bit resentful sometimes or a bit like angry or? No, not angry. I, just, I suppose when it's your own baby, you're a bit like, well, I've got to do this, but I can imagine myself being a bit like, oh, this isn't even my baby and I have to do Yes. This. The only time I ever felt, okay, and this, I don't even want to use the word resentful, but just like really what I kind of annoyed was Ashley went on a baby moon. Like, you know, when, where they like have like a vacation before <laughs> they um, have a baby, which I get because you are giving up your life in a minute. But I remember being like, what the fuck? Like, I should be the one going on a baby moon right now, you know, and that's the only time. And I remember being like, well, it's not your baby. You're not going to have to get up at three in the morning and five in the morning. You know, you're not going to have to do any of that. That, and that's kind of the point of it. And so that was the only time I felt that way. I would just like to put it out there that I would be so angry if you went on a baby moon. Darling, I'm definitely going to need a baby moon. Like, honestly, it's going to completely change my life. I'm going to need a holiday beforehand. (laughs) It it, uh, it made me laugh so much because I just thought like, A, it's exactly the kind of thing you would do. And B, it's exactly the kind of thing I would be really annoyed about. I'd be like, Dahlia, um, we're going to Miami for a baby moon. I'd love for you to come, but I don't want to risk the baby. So I'm I'm going to leave you some cupcakes to enjoy while we're away. Even for all of the people that I spoke to, like what really came through was how long 
the process was from like that initial, like what we heard with Michelle saying there was like an inkling of an idea to a baby is born. But all of them seem to take years. What you mean? What do you mean? Like the decision to do it? Whole process of like deciding, but then all of the conversation. I mean, I suppose for many of them also like it's with people they didn't know. So part of it's like forming that relationship. But as one of them kind of put it, the, the chances of the pregnancy actually being successful are not that high. And they're okay. particularly not that high when it's what we would be doing, which is gestational surrogacy. Okay. So when the egg is would not be mine, it would be yeah. a donor egg. Yeah. So just for example, like the first stage that you would have to go through with Matthew is to find an egg donor. Yeah. Then to create embryos, and even that again can be like all, each one of these stages is really long and doesn't necessarily work. And for one of the people that I spoke to, for example, she met a couple, a same-sex couple. She was, you know, one really like they got on really well. She wanted to be their surrogate and went through the process of first of all using the embryos from one of the parents. Mm. It didn't work twice, and that meant that that parent lost the embryos that he had had and then they they tried with the second didn't work and then that like relationship just deteriorated and like that was a really big loss for both of them but again that kind of took like a year and a half to then get to the stage where they you know had to mutually decide that that was kind of the end of well so they just didn't didn't work and then you know she went on and she was then a surrogate for um, another set of parents. And then it was more successful. She had a really good experience. But again, it was almost like, we're talking about like years of like the span of like trying, dealing with the kind of disappointment of it A, not working, or B, having a miscarriage. Yeah, and actually that's one of the the things that Michelle was really clear about. The first, uh, I don't know what you call it, implantation didn't work. And that was that was devastating. And I remember being like, oh, my gosh, I have failed them, you know, and just it just was so sad. And having that having to have that conversation of it didn't work, you know, and then I remember saying, I can do this one more time, like mentally, I can't like lose another one and then do this again. So and I kind of and I was honest with her and I was like, I will try one more time. But if this one doesn't work out, I'm sorry, I'm out. And so she got that. And then obviously, thankfully, it worked. But then, of course, I think there was this level more on her part, less on mine, because I was very much like, okay, well, it's it's kind of out of my hands. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this is successful. But if, you know, if if nature doesn't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. So um, I think she was never really going to be very comfortable and happy and safe and sure until that baby was in her arms, you know, so that part I know was hard for her. Um, and as I think, I guess, particularly too, cause she'd experienced so many letdowns up to that point. So it was a lot of pressure on me, you know, and that, I think that definitely led to some stress and stuff. And of course, and you're like, I don't want to be stressed cause it's bad for the baby and <laughs> things like that. But yeah, I think she, she was nervous throughout the entire thing, I'm sure. But then you know, also like just so grateful that it was happening. So. Do you know what? I don't think I will ever, like we're having these conversations, right? And I know we just went through that list of, I wouldn't do, I would do for you if I were going to be having your child, but I just never have to, I just would never be able to get it. Like all of this stuff, the gravity of it, it's just like, I will never, ever be able to fully appreciate 
the the thought, the risk, the the stress, the pain, all of that. And it's just kind of, it, I don't know, like it feels quite, I feel, I don't know how to explain it. Like I feel, I feel guilty right now that we're even entertaining the idea that you would do all of this stuff for me. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be the outcome. No, I know that wasn't supposed to be the outcome, but like, I just think, I don't know, like it's just difficult, isn't it? That's what was also the other part, the other side to the story was like speaking to these people really weirdly especially Michelle, made me think like, like, yeah, like this is something I could do. I just need to, I just need to actually be prepared for it and be okay with like all of that weirdness and all of that potential like difficulty. Because the likelihood is that if not one of these things that we've talked about, like something will happen. There will be times when it might be difficult. Like whatever the circumstances, even if it's like an absolutely perfect pregnancy and everything is okay like it's still quite tough even at its best it's quite a tough thing to do but it really made me feel like as long as you kind of like know that and you're almost like prepared for it Mm. then I think I kind of got into the like actually it's quite cool (laughs) at the end like maybe it's worth it do you know what it makes me think about I love our friendship Like, I get so excited about hanging out and spending time together. And I also know what you're you're like, right? We know each other really well. I would hate the idea that would ever become a chore for us to see each other. Like, I would hate the idea that, okay, there's this thing and we've been trying to do it for months and months or maybe even a year or so or two and it hasn't worked. And suddenly there's this really complicated situation because you feel like you're letting me down and I feel so invested and I'm so kind of keen for it to happen. And then what it, what, what it means is that whenever I see you, all I want to talk about is whether or not we're, you know, getting pregnant, you're getting pregnant. And when you see me, you don't want to hang out because all you're thinking about is, oh my God, all he wants to do is talk about this child, this potential child. And that actually worries me, genuinely. Yeah, I hadn't really actually thought of that. Because that would be horrible. But I, I definitely got the sense talking to these people, there's like a lot. Of that? Not of that, of like the whole thing is just a lot. A lot. And like the two of the women I spoke to and work for surrogacy UK and like even just talking about the like pages and pages worth of like contracts and like the things mm. that you have to like go through and talk about but to saying that like it I think it just made me realize like this is like a really long journey yeah which sounds ridiculous to have not realized before I know but I don't think I quite realized it I don't I don't think I did either and there's like so many steps so many like biological steps so many yeah. emotional steps so many like you know so much going on yeah that that's where I got to. It's like, right, we're right at step number one. My God. And then it is interesting because then you think, is it an advantage or is it a disadvantage to be close? I'd say it's probably a disadvantage, actually. Because at least when you are going into it via something like Surrogacy UK, like we haven't even got to that point, right? Because by the time you're meeting somebody at Surrogacy UK, both parties have decided what they're trying to do and it's just about 
getting to know each other to figure out whether whether or not you want to do it with this other person or these these other people. Whereas we're still trying to figure that out. But then even once we've got there, we have this, in some ways, those people have got together because there's this one thing they want to do together. But even then, like talking to, again, these people, and, and this is not to paint like a negative picture on it, but like it, it was just almost like a, a, a realistic picture that even then, even when you've both got there, down the line, there's like so many points at which you might have a conversation about like what are your red lines or yeah. what, and, and then the relationship breaks down or it might not work at implantation or it might not work at this stage. Or, yeah. you know, and then it's like even, even getting to that stage where you both decide you want to do it. The thing is that... It's not actually committing to doing it. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That's what made me realise. But the thing is like that those people that are strangers to one another, at least to begin with, right? They're trying to build something special. The difference with us is we would be trying to protect something really special that we've already got while we tried to build something else. And I think that makes it more complicated. Tiny Huge Decisions is a chalk and blade production for APM Studios. At Chalk and Blade, the executive producer is Ruth Barnes. The showrunner and story editor is Louise Mountain. And the producer and sound designer is Matt Nielsen, with original music by Ian Chambers. At APM, the executive producer is Erica Krauss. The senior production manager is Nick Ryan. And the executives in charge are Joanne Griffith, Alex Shaffert and Chandra Kavati. With thanks to Dahlia, Mossin and Matthew. And special thanks to Michelle. Michelle.